I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. What would you say is the hardest part of being a pet sitter? It certainly changes as we move from stage to stage throughout our business, as we change and add services, and we bring and add on clients and staff. Part of being a business owner and part of being an entrepreneur is tackling those challenges as they come up. Today, Justina Allen, owner of Justina's Pet Sitting, joins the show to share her take on how she tackles those challenges, how she helps her clients be guilt-free, and even give some great winter clothing and gear recommendations. Let's get started. Uh, we just came off of MEA break, which is our like fall school break. So okay. super busy week and weekend kind nice. of back to normal now. Yeah. So has that been pretty predictable and reliable for you as far it's- as you know you're going to be busy? Yeah, October is um, our biggest month every year because of MEA. So yeah, even better than spring break, better than Christmas, like this, the school break, people love it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so it's nice to kind of know what to expect and kind of let my team know in advance, like all hands on deck and yeah. I'm I'm sure that's quite the thing to... um to coordinate with all of them and getting schedules nailed down. I know we're doing that this year for, um, for Christmas. So just being like, okay, I know I've asked you this about 17 times already, but you're like, you're really available on Christmas. You're really available on Christmas. And I'm awesome. Right. Right. Cause I'm like, I, I know exactly what I can take on based on who can actually work. I am flexible with them because they're so flexible with me. Yeah. Um, that it's like, I I would rather turn clients away and keep my employees happy the rest of the year than force them to work something that they really don't want to work. So it's a weird balance, you know? I had an employee that started during spring break and she only wanted like maybe 10 hours a week. And I was like, okay, could you just really push through for me for one week? And then I promise you 10 hours a week is all you'll have. And she was like, she wanted like two to three hour shifts. And it was like three, eight hour shifts in a row. And I'm like, I promise, like, if you could just do this for me, I will give you what you want. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. We had a new, we had, we we had a a transition with some staff and and her first day, I think we went seven and a half hours straight of nothing, but just back to back visits for, and she was like, is it always like this? (laughs) And you know, people think like, oh, great. Like that's an an eight hour day. Like that's normal. But a normal eight hour day is nothing like eight hours of doing back to back dog walks and visits. It's no, just, it's, it makes your brain scramble. <laughs> that was the one thing that she came to us and she said, I, I wasn't prepared for the mental taxation this would place on me. I wasn't prepared mentally for this job. And it hit me of going like, I, I fought for years of my life to avoid task switching of going from thing to thing to thing to thing. But now that's all this job is like, wow. that's all we do. And it really didn't hit me until she approached mm-hmm. me and said, it's really mentally draining on me to switch mm-hmm. from, from client to client to client. Mm-hmm. I have an employee. She's full-time now, but she started just weekends. And when she went to full-time and she now is doing like most of the Monday through Friday dog walks, she's like, it's so much easier. I don't have to think about it. I know every client, it's the same every day versus just every weekend, different clients were on vacation. So she was doing a brand new set of 
five, six clients every weekend. And, and on top of like the, the mental taxing, we're in Minnesota and then we'll have the days where like the weather's really bad and the snow's bad. So now you're so stressed out driving from house to house because the roads are bad and it's, there's a blizzard and you just want to get there. And as soon as you get there, you're thinking about, no, I got to leave and go to the next one. And it just, you're tense by the end of the day. Yeah, you never you're never off. You can never have a moment where you can flip off because, like you said, even in driving or if it starts, you know, if it's rain, even rainy weather, right? Like those first few yep. minutes where all of a sudden everything is slick and nobody uh-huh. knows what they're doing. Everyone forgot how to drive. All of a yep. sudden, and you're just like, I just need to make it 15 minutes down the road, yep. and you're stressed about being late. And then all of a, uh, the worst thing for me, I know, I really stress out about is whenever I get like five minutes off, and then all of a sudden that cask cascades with bad weather and driving and mishaps, and then I'm like, I'm. 45 minutes behind schedule at the end of a busy day and you just feel totally blown out by the end of it. It's, it's hard to then like calm down at night and then wake up the next morning fresh and not impacted by the frustrations from yesterday. And it's, it, it's, it's, you, you never get that decompression in your day. Yes. And as like, as the owner and like the person who does the schedule, I understand, oh, it's okay that you're 45 minutes behind because I know it's going to be okay the way things line up. But my employees who are very task oriented, a lot of my employees are very type A and they want to do everything perfectly. They, they just go crazy when they're behind because they're so behind. And I, and I know you're not like, it really is going to be okay. You know, but to them, they're supposed to be there at 315 and now it's 330. And that's all they can think about. Well, and that's interesting because we hire for task-oriented people who pay attention, very detail-oriented kind of people to pay attention to this stuff. So how do you how do you coach them through that or help develop a more healthier uh, understanding of what that schedule is? I think one of the biggest things I do is when I hire somebody, we use time to pet for software, um, and I will I like to show them what the schedule looks like in time to pet so they can kind of see everything. So they can get an idea of what everybody's doing, if that makes sense. And um, I also in the notes will put for a particular client, I'll say, okay, this schedule typically looks like this. They should have their breakfast visit between six and eight. They should have their supper visit between two 30 and five. And then they should have their, be- their bedtime visit sometime after seven. So they know when they're there, like the next visit's going to be happening sometime around this time. And then they're not kind of just left wondering, like, am I the only visit today? Who else is coming? What time are they coming? Um, I think that helps them a little bit to not just worry as much. Um, But I do think that helps a lot just that they can see the big picture and understand the whole scheduling aspect. We do 15 minutes in between every visit. Even if your next visit is around the corner, I still schedule 15 minutes you can get there early. You can get started. That's perfectly fine. And now maybe you have a 10 minute buffer later on to use if you get behind because a dog threw up everywhere. Yeah. It kind of allowed them a little bit more agency in the field to kind of judge and manage that time because, you know, you're basically you're saying, Hey, we have 15 minutes budgeted in here. So if you show up early, you can get some time back or maybe you need to take all that full 15 minutes to just recover yeah. and de-stress <laughs> from something that happened. Go get a coffee. Yeah, either either way, right? It's their time to use in that. So is that time that you're you're paying from do you pay hourly with them for so travel time pay, too? We pay per job. Um and so kind of one of the benefits of that is that they know that they can get done early then. I have the schedule uh, set up in a way so that if they are ahead of schedule, it's fine. Just keep going to your next job. 
you don't need to wait the 15 minutes. Like you can, if you want to, if you need that time or you need to just sit in your car or whatever it is. But if you just want to like bang them out and get them done, you could be done a half hour early, you know, and then you've made the same amount of money. Well, and I guess also too, like you said, doesn't get, they don't get so stressed or kind of yeah. freaked out about that or focused only on time. So you, you're, you're really doing all the scheduling there. Is that something that you've, you always liked to do? Cause that's, that's, a, that seems like something that not a lot of people really yeah. you know, dig into. You know, I, my background is in initially my background is in criminal justice. I worked as a prison guard and a parole officer, a case manager in a prison. Um, and long story short, I got tired of going to prison. Um, and so <laughs> I can't do this five years, five years in my time. <laughs> that, that's a sound bite if I ever had one. <laughs> so I ended up working for a nonprofit. Um, I was a case manager working with adults with developmental disabilities and loved it. Great group of people to work with. And realized like one of my really strong suits was like paperwork. Like I was so organized on top of things. I had only been there like six months and they would send the new case managers to me to learn organizational skills and oh, go find out Justina's system. She's got a system for this, you know, all that. Um, but anyways, I was working there. I'd taken a big pay cut, um, leaving my job at the state at the prison. And so I'd started waiting tables part-time bartending, and eventually realized how much money I could make just waiting tables and bartending, um, working way less hours than I was at the nonprofit. So I left the nonprofit, was waiting tables, bartending, and was like, you know, I, I think I maybe want to just like walk some dogs during the day. Like my shift was always in the evening. Um, when I was working both jobs, I had somebody helping take care of my dog several days a week because I was working doubles. And the more I started telling people, the more people were like, well, I would have you walk my dog. Like she's home alone all day while I'm at work. I never thought about having a dog walker or Ooh, my neighbor just got a puppy. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And word of mouth, I live in a really, um, really cool, small Lake town, South of Minneapolis and St. Paul, about 30 minutes South and just a really tight knit community. It's only like 25,000 people. So it feels like a small town. Um, but a lot of the people that live down here work in the city and they commute. Um, so it kind of just like blew up and exploded I just wanted to walk dogs. I was just going to be a dog walker and figure out what I was going to do with my life. I have this degree in criminal justice. I have this background working at the nonprofit. I'm like, this will get me by. Um, but within like three months, I needed to hire somebody. I, I couldn't keep up. I needed a day off. You know, I went like three months without a day off. Um, so I hired someone just to do two dog walks on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Cause that was like the most steady thing that we had at the time. And I realized right away to get back to your paperwork question that um, I needed some sort of software, which is why I started with Time to Pet. My biggest reason for that was that I wanted all of the communication to come through me. And I didn't want clients texting my employee on her personal number, on her days off. Um, I didn't want that boundary to be crossed. Um, and I realized once I started using time to pet, like it really like took me back to my case management days. And I was like all this like organization and scheduling <laughs> and color coding. And um, I really started to love it. Yeah. Um, so hiring and hiring. And now we've got 
five employees right now, plus my husband and I, and, um, I could sit and stare at the schedule all day and tweak it and get the times lined up. And, Ooh, this could be a better route. Actually, if I have this person start here or this employee lives on this end of town, so we're going to have her start on this end and go this way. Um, I could spend all day doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It's so weird. I didn't know that was something that I loved, but I truly do love that organization and scheduling. Well, that's really cool though, that you have that um, have that strength, right, and interest, and now you can apply it in this way. And and so, are you? Have you? Um, are you still doing some of the visits, or are you purely managing and overseeing operations at this point? So it kind of ebbs and flows depending on what's going on with employees and business and employee retention. Um, my goal always is to be the backup person. So then that way, when somebody calls in sick or somebody does get way behind because of the weather or there's an emergency with a client pet or, you know, all those little things that I'm able, I'm free and I'm able to jump in versus giving myself a full schedule. Um, I just want to be able to do that. Um, I got really good at that. We actually, my husband and I just had our first baby in June. And so I worked really hard to get to that point where I'm like, I'm off the schedule because I have to be off the schedule when I have the baby. Yeah. Um, Lasted about four weeks, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, so that's always the ultimate goal, but there's also, you know, I did start doing this because I love to walk dogs. I didn't necessarily start doing this because I thought like, I want to own a company and be a boss. Um, So the nice thing is being in that position when certain clients book, I can be like, you know what? I'm on the schedule today because I really miss Fido or whoever it is, you know? Um, So it ebbs and flows. If we're short on employees, I'm working more. If we're up to compliment, I might not be on the schedule for several weeks. Um, and then I'm just doing the meet and greets and the admin stuff. It's a nice option to have. Again, as always, of like, hey, I can get a little bit of variety in my day. And, you know, it's nice to hear that you're kind of, your goal was, I want to be the backup person. You know, I don't want to be completely removed from this and completely separate and, and not present. I want to be a backup and still involved in some of the day-to-day operations because that, that helps a lot, I, I think, of when you can experience some of your own policies that you write. I've been experiencing that more and more of like as we formalized a lot of stuff and I've written it. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And then I follow it. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right? You go like, to a visit that you haven't done in a year and you read the notes from it and you're like, who wrote these notes? <laughs> oh no, that was me. Oh no. <laughs> I do. And I, I think that's nice to have some fresh eyes into that. It was hard when I was getting ready to have the baby. I was having my full-time employee do all the meet and greets because you just never knew. I didn't want to schedule myself to do it and then not be able to be there. Um, so right now we have maybe 20 clients that I've never met. That's so weird to me. And I, I'll go in to do their visit for the first time. And it's based off the notes that Lisa wrote when she did the meet and greet. And she's amazing. She writes amazing notes, probably better than I do. Um, but it's weird. It's weird to be in that position. I know you said it's a tight knit community of, you know, 25,000 people or so. That may be um, kind of intimidating to a lot of people to try and get into a tight knit community. Were you, is that where you're from or were you kind of new to the area? Yeah, I, I moved here in 2014. And I think part of the reason why um, I was, I know a big reason part of why I was so successful was that the restaurant I was working at 
downtown Prior Lake where I live, um, was just, it's just a restaurant where like everybody knows everybody, you know, and, and they all knew me well. I worked there five nights a week. Um, when you're bartending, you just get to know everybody that comes to the door and you get to know their stories and they get to know your story. And because I really was just looking for something to fill my time during the day, I think there was no pressure there necessarily. It was kind of just like, I'm just going to walk a couple dogs, you know, it wasn't until I started walking lots of dogs and then people were like, well, I'm going on vacation. Can you come a couple times a day that I was like, Oh, like this could actually like be a thing, you know, this, maybe I don't have to go back to a normal day job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we can we can work twenty four seven now. It's no <laughs> exactly. And when you say that, like when one of, one of the absolute, I think hardest parts of being a pet sitter is that we do work twenty four seven. Yeah, and even when we're not, even if I'm not working at any given time, the messages are coming in through time to pet. I'm monitoring that. There's always somebody gone on vacation. There's always dogs being walked, whether I'm doing it or not. Um, my husband and I we also board dogs and. Um, I'm really, I have really strong presence in the rabbit community and the rescue community. So okay. we board rabbits and guinea pigs and um, we're always working. We always have dogs here for daycare. We always have dogs boarding. We always have rabbits boarding over MEA weekend. I think we had like 14 rabbits and guinea pigs boarding. So it's, it's a zoo here and there's always someone that needs to be fed or medicated or walked. So <laughs> That's uh there's a there's a lot to dive into that uh, but, <laughs> but yeah we we are on it's a 24/7 365 day a year business and I think it's important I I tell of our staff and something I have to tell myself too of like yes the service is offered 24/7 seven, 7 days a week you know 365 days but y- you don't have to be the one to do that that's not your responsibility here's how we're going to work to build some space into that was that was that easy for you to to kind of recognize that you didn't didn't have to do it all? Um, not at first. It's gotten easier as time has gone on, and I think one of the reasons it's gotten a lot easier is that my husband, um, during the pandemic, he's a chef, and so he was laid off. Everything shut down. We had just moved in together back in 2020, and um, he went on unemployment with the goal and thought that he'd go back to his restaurant, which still hasn't opened. Um, so he never went back to work and he started, um, you know, we were, we were just dating at the time. He started helping me out. Um, and we got engaged and we started talking about, well, what can we do with this? Like, where can we go with this? Now there's two of us, right? Like maybe you don't have to go back to work and having his input has helped a ton. Um, because as a chef running kitchens, what do you do? You delegate, right? You know, he writes the menu. He's does, a lot of the hard work, but he's also there to delegate and be like, you can do this, this, and this. And so he's always been really good about like, how can you maneuver things differently? Um, and so that you're not constantly the person on. And that's kind of nice too, because I've been able to take like some good vacations, like my honeymoon, even like the week of my wedding. And we went to Hawaii for our baby moon and to be able to have my full-timer takeover, answer all the emails, answer the phone calls, I wrote the schedule, but she tweaked it because people cancel and people add and, you know, figuring out where you're going to put things um, and that sort of thing. So it's a work in progress because you do, I do still carry the weight of everything. I'm the one who knows all the clients in and out. I know exactly what they need, even if that's not in writing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know their personalities. I know what kind of updates they like. I just, 
Um, so it's hard, but it's, you know, I think as more time goes on and it continues to evolve, it'll just get easier and easier to be like, these responsibilities can go to somebody else and I can let go a little bit. Yeah. Especially as you see other people who have strengths in some things, or when you start giving people little tasks and they do well with that, so you can give them a little bit more and a little bit more, and you can build up some of that that trust and reliance. And that way, it's it's nice to see. Oh, okay, like you, you got this right, and going okay, I, I can step away. I may still be thinking about it. May still be a little nervous and on edge. Like let's let's be very real about this. But but I can I can do that part now. I've got more free time, and I'm sure that's that's really important now with with a newborn um, yeah. and ex- and experiencing everything that that brings. Yes. Absolutely. Definitely adds a whole other level of things. It's kind of like, okay, here's another warm body to keep alive and keep happy and keep occupied. And, uh, you know, she keeps changing and evolving and pretty soon she's going to be crawling. And, um, you know, it's just kind of, she just fits right into the pack really, you know, <laughs> she figures out her place here. And, and I, and I think the best, I think the best thing that anybody can do if you need a break is to go on a vacation where you have absolutely no cell phone service. Mm. We went to Glacier National Park and for four days, you could not reach me or find me if you wanted to. We were like at the second most Northern campground in the park. Mm. And when we came down that hill and I got service, my phone exploded. But for those four days that nobody could reach me, I just, I just had to say to myself, there's nothing you can do about it anyways. If something's Mm. going wrong right now, you can't do anything about it. You're in Montana. Like, just relax. Yeah. Now, it took a lot. It took a lot of prep time, like you said, to get to that point of setting the schedule and working with your full timer and getting all this stuff taken care of. And then there is that moment where you step back and you go, "Okay, like, there's nothing I can do right now to to get around this." And sometimes that happens in the middle of chaos. I don't know. I've experienced that where it just seems like everything's falling apart. Mm-hmm. But it's like I. I don't have control over any of that. And, and it's in some instance, that's very, uh, it's very freeing. You find a lot of peace in that moment. Like when you're on the mountaintop and you're like, nothing, literally nothing I can do. It's yeah. I, I can't, I, no matter how much I wish, try scream or whatever, I'm not getting cell service. I, well, that, that, that worry's gone from my mind. I can go over here and enjoy the sunset or whatever, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wish you could do that more often. <laughs> have you heard of time to pet? Dan from NYC Pooch has this to say. Time to bet has been a total game changer for us. It's helped us streamline many aspects of our operation, from scheduling and communication to billing and customer management. Uh, we actually tested other pet sitting softwares in the past, but these other solutions were clunky and riddled with problems. Everything in Time to Pet has been so well thought out. It's intuitive, feature rich, and it's always improving. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting visiting timetobed.com slash confessional. So you start out doing dog walks. Um, when did you start the, the boarding aspect? Um, pretty early on, uh, maybe like just like a month or so in, um, you know, I started like just kind of advertising on Facebook. I created a Facebook page and it wasn't necessarily that I was, um, advertising for boarding, but people would reach out and say, Hey, would you consider boarding my dog? So it started pretty small, you know, um, at the time I just had a Shih Tzu and, um, you know, needed dogs, obviously that we're going to get along with him. And, that just slowly grew and grew. And it wasn't until my husband, um, you know, moved in and we decided he wasn't going back to work in a restaurant, um, that we started to take more because he's here 
all day long. And it leaves me free then to go to those meet and greets and go fill in with dog walks and pet sitting as needed. So. Yeah. Now the, the, the boarding of guinea pigs and rabbits, this is something that I, you said that, and I was like, I have so many questions about how this <laughs> works. So you said you're pretty big in that, you're pretty involved in that community. Yeah. Is that just from a general interest or did you have a client that had something that kind of brought you into that? So one of my first pets, my first pet as an adult was a rabbit and I did tons of research, gave this rabbit the best life you could ever imagine. And then I moved into an apartment that you couldn't have pets. So I was sadly without pets for a few years. And then when I bought my house here in Prior Lake in 2014, the first pet I got was a rabbit again. At one point I had six, I'm down to four. Um, I tend to rescue the ones that have had not the greatest lives and, um, and they're already a few years old by the time I get them. Um, but in all of my research, what I found was rabbits are just really overlooked care-wise. They're really oftentimes looked at as like farm animals up along outside. And so I started getting a lot of my information from the House Rabbit Society, which is an international organization that's focused on like housing, diet, making sure that our house rabbits are given the lives they deserve. And so I became an educator with them back in 2020. So it's been almost two years. Um, So I helped basically it's like an online presence, but I help with their Facebook page. Um, just managing as people come in with questions about like, what should my rabbit eat or my rabbit's doing this, what's wrong, that kind of thing. Um, and we have three different, um, rabbit rescues in Minnesota. We have tons of rescues that also take rabbits, but three that like one's a pocket pet rescue. And then there's two that are just rabbit rescues. And so I've worked with a couple of them and I foster rabbits through them and help on their transportation team and things like that. So I got to know just a lot of people in Minnesota who have rabbits. Um, so people will come to me like, can my rabbit stay with you? So I started the the boarding program. Um, I also bond rabbits, which is kind of a weird and unique thing. Um, You can't just put two rabbits together and hope for the best. They could potentially kill each other. Um, So and it's very, very stressful. Um, But I've bonded probably 150 rabbits in the past six, seven years. Um, So people drop their rabbits off with me. They'll stay with me for like two or three weeks until they're bonded safely and they can go home and live together in one area. No more gates, no more fences, no more separate rooms, make their lives a lot easier. Um, And I did, I put that program on hold with the baby coming and I probably have a waiting list of like 15 people waiting for me to start doing it again. Um, Cause it's just, nobody else does it. Wow. So do, do you have, is, are they put in a special area? How do you make that transition process? Because, you know, boarding dogs, they, they can get pretty stressed out and there's a lot of anxiety in there. What's it like managing that for, for rabbits? So our rabbits, um, all the small animals are in the basement behind closed doors where no other animals are allowed. Um, so that's, that's very, very important because rabbits are prey animals. Dogs and cats are predators. Um, so we want to keep them away. And because rabbits are really sensitive to change, um, they have really sensitive GI tracts. Um, if they stop eating, it can be really detrimental, even deadly for them. 
So we want to make them as comfortable as possible. So um, they have places to hide. I have these built-in wooden pens. So they're really safe and enclosed and secure. So they feel safe. Um, And when rabbits come to bond, I always take a couple of days for them to just settle in and get comfortable and make sure they're eating, make sure they're pooping, um, make sure that they're doing okay health-wise before I start introducing them together. And that's why it takes two or three weeks because we might have to slow down and back up a little bit. Um, Some might go home really quick. But I like to make sure everything's really solid before they leave. Do you have a, a particular vet that you work with or partner in case things go go awry, or do you rely on the vet for the owners? You know that that, that they go yeah. to. Good question. Um, so there's there's some really great rabbit vets in Minnesota, and there's some there's a lot of vets that say they see rabbits that don't know anything about rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I know which ones are really good, and oftentimes when I see in time to pet, they put in their vet information. Um, if I see that maybe it's a vet that I know or maybe I don't know, or I'm not familiar with, I just discuss plans with them. And the plan basically is that if something happened with the rabbit, we're going to take them to the vet that they normally go to that has their paperwork and whatnot. But if it's after hours on the weekend, things like that, like I know there's a couple of emergency vets in the cities that will see rabbits and no rabbits. And I feel comfortable going there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I have a relationship with a lot of different vets just because I have four rabbits and two guinea pigs and sure. three cats and two dogs. So <laughs> um, I, I feel pretty comfortable and confident knowing like where to go and, and what to do. And, and th- those kind of relationships are just so invaluable, right? When we kind of reach the end, of, not kind of, but when we reach the end of our knowledge or we start having those concerns, it can compound into further stress if we don't know where to turn if we have no idea of who's the expert and that's on us to spend that time ahead of time whether we have a, you know, a zoo in our home and we've got all these animals and pets and we're naturally going out and talking to people, or I know a lot of pet sitters don't have pets, so they need to be yeah. starting those conversations on their own mm-hmm. and building those relationships a different way. But at the end of the day, those relationships need to be built so that we can continue to learn in those instances where, again, we're like, I don't, I don't know. We need to yeah. know who to go and talk to and get good information. When I went on that trip to Montana, one of the things I did for my team was I basically put together this list that was, if something is wrong with a pet, um, first you call the owner and then you call their vet. And if you can't get into their vet, because we know there's a terrible vet crisis, shortage, whatever, here are the after hours vets in our area. If the after hours vets are full, these are the other emergency vets. And it was like, a if this, then this, then this, then this. Now, if it's a rabbit or a guinea pig, it's a whole different list because it is different vets that see them. Your typical rabbit or your typical emergency vet isn't really going to know what to do with the rabbit. Um, So I really had to dig deep and think, what is every possible thing that could happen while I am unreachable so that they have a plan? And they, we use... um, an app where we can all chat together. And so they all knew that they could just go into that app too and say, Hey guys, what do I do? You know, in between the five of them, they could spit all off each other and be like, Oh, I know this client really well. This is what I would do. Um, you know, and they could just make a plan together too. Well, in that document, you know, we hear a lot of times of like, write down all your SOPs, put, sit down and think through your SOPs. And sometimes it's like, I don't, what do you mean? What does that look like? I don't even know where do I start? In this case, you were forced into writing that down because again, you were leaving and you needed to walk through that decision tree for 
your mm-hmm. staff to go, hey, this is what I would do in this scenario. But you know, prior to that, that wasn't on your radar because it wasn't needed. So a lot of that stuff, it's a reminder. I mean, you're telling that of like, this this is where our policies, our SOPs, they change and they they mm-hmm. they adapt organically as the need arises to meet that. You're also doing guinea pigs as well. Is that a similar process with with the yeah. rabbits? Yeah, guinea pigs. They they are very similar to rabbits. Their diets are really similar. They're their care is really similar. I ended up with a guinea pig on accident. <laughs> I feel like that's the story of like all my pets. Um, but an old boss had gotten uh, this guinea pig for his daughter. He was like nine months old and they just weren't taking care of him anymore. And so being involved in rescue, I said, well, I'll take him and I'll, I'll find him a home. Well, I brought him home and I changed his name. Like, so his name is Albus and he is almost seven years old. Guinea pigs live five to eight years. So he's, he's an old man. He's been through, he's on his second partner. Um, guinea pigs are just happier with a friend. So when I adopted another older, or another guinea pig to be his buddy, he passed away of old age. So then I went and found someone who was in a similar situation. Their guinea pigs partner had died. Their guinea pig was older. They didn't want to take on another one and be in this vicious cycle of always getting another guinea pig. Um, so I took that old man. And so I got two old man guinea pigs together now. Um, I, I don't want to have guinea pigs forever, but it's one of those things. I'll probably have guinea pigs forever. Um, they're a lot of fun. They're super cute. They make the best noises. Um, but they're a lot like bunnies and bonding process for guinea pigs is a lot easier though. They typically a couple days, they can work out their stuff and figure their stuff out a lot better. Well, so if somebody's listening to this and didn't realize that there was a market for these kind of services or that it would be even possible to do, what what are some things that you would recommend for somebody who's interested in boarding rabbits or guinea pigs in, in their home? I think I would start, if you didn't already have rabbits or guinea pigs, start by reaching out to um, a rescue organization that takes them um, because there's a lot of different volunteer opportunities there's fostering. Um, like I said, I'm on the transport team. So I do transportations. Um, there's, um, events and things like that. And just to kind of get comfortable with the different species and, um, then, you know, making sure you have a safe space in your home. Once you learn the care, maybe you've taken on a couple fosters, things like that. The nice thing about a foster is you have a whole team at the rescue that's walking you through if something goes wrong and you really can learn so much that way um, without the pressure of it being just you that's responsible. You have someone you can go to and be like, so this bunny's not eating. What do I do? You know? Um, so really getting familiar with them. Um, and then being, being involved in rescues around here is really why my boarding program is so successful. Everybody just knows who I am. You know, um, there's different, there's groups, there's like Minnesota bunny groups and the, my name will pop up like, Oh, I need a pet sitter. And people will say, Oh, call Justina's pet sitting. She boards them. Um, we'll also do in-home for rabbits as well, but a lot of people just choose to board them. Sure. Um, So yeah, I think rescue rescue is the way to go. They just so much knowledge, so much information. Um, and there's just so many opportunities. Well, and you just think of that network of people uh, that you have of resources, like you said, of like the educational opportunities and you, you get known for that kind of thing. I mean, if anybody's, I'm sure everyone's had the similar experience. If you find a stray dog and the pound is full, the rehome, they, you text one person, that one person is going to text 15 other people. They're going to text. And this whole network just arises out of nowhere Mm -hmm. because somebody, 
somebody just knows somebody. And that's a very powerful thing to be plugged into. To get, again, be, have those resources, have those connections so that you can continue to, to, to learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think like the connections that we make and the, the groups that we're in and things like that just make a big difference. And I also have found that this, you know, this is such a solitary job, even with a team, five employees, we don't see each other. We don't hang out. We don't, you don't have like it, like, camaraderie like you do with coworkers at a normal job. We have team meetings every few months. Um, but besides that, we just really know each other through the updates that we see each other send, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so I realized pretty early on because of that, I needed a community in some way. Um, I was the kind of person who at my day job, I really thrived when my boss told me I did a good job. Well, there's no way to tell me I'm doing a good job anymore. Um, you know, happy clients, of course, but that's huge. Um, but like, I'm the boss now, like, like (laughs) who's telling me that I'm good at what I do. Um, but I found that really helpful to find this community. I joined like the chamber of commerce here in town. Um, so it's all just these small businesses partnering and working together. Amazing group of people that I've been going to meetings, um, chamber meetings now pretty much for four years since I started and, um, just networking, you know, just people who own businesses that need help and that spitball off each other and go to each other for resources. I found it it's powerful to be plugged into a network of other pet sitters who own the pet sitting businesses. But I've also found a real power in just something different, being connected to other just kind of a generic small business group. To be connected mm-hmm. to the car salesman, the lawyer, to the seamstress, to be connected to the whatever, you know, the pottery shop, all that kind of stuff. Like it is it is so good to be because you feel finally like you were around viewed as and in and around peers and you get those people who mm-hmm. can see into your business and go I what happened one of the first things that happened to me was when I was telling people about what we do and and how it, it goes I was telling it to some people who have no they're not connected to the pet world at all they just looked at me with their eyes like a gog like you do what how <laughs> huh what did, what did, like <laughs> like they couldn't even you, you make money you make money doing that <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't process it at all and it was just like it was <laughs> it was like yeah this is what we do <laughs> and I think that's a really good like it, it feels good to be validated and seen in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. In a totally different way. And you just, you don't realize like maybe even the way you can partner with some of those people, you know, um, you just don't make those connections until you start spending the time meeting with them and getting to know them that you realize like, Oh, we could do these different things together. Or um, even if they don't have a pet, everybody knows somebody that has a pet. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Like you said, those partnerships are huge of going, okay, like I've partnered with the the vets, I've partnered with the groomers, I've partnered with the trainers, I've partnered with this stuff. There's other people out there, right? And they may just absolutely mm-hmm. adore. We found a, a local pizza shop here who started his pizza company for his dog, like, cause he just, in memory of his dog. And I was like, I, I need to yeah. talk to those people. Like, those, those are my yeah. people. Sure, they sell pizza, but like, absolutely. we need to do something together. And, you yeah. know, and it's just, you, you find those kind of connections. But then, like you said as well, there's so much value in being connected to other pet sitters. And there's the professional pet sitters of Minnesota um, that, yeah, I'm currently a member of and a board member of right now. And the nice thing about that is it's all pet sitters in and around Minnesota. So we are all experiencing the same peak times like spring break or that big fall break that I was just talking about. 
Um, we're referring to each other whenever we can, obviously, because, oh, this person's out of my area. You should call so-and-so there in St. Louis Park or whatever the case is. Um, but pet sitters just, the, the struggles that we see, the stuff that we face, the issues that we have, whether it's with clients or the pets or our employees or whatever, nobody gets it like another pet sitter. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just so unique. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And a lot of those are problems that we never thought we'd have to encounter of like, you know, I started this for one reason and now all of a sudden I'm in a situation where, you know, whatever it is, right? I walk in, the client's naked or I'm, I'm dealing with a, a client who has, you know, Alzheimer's and they don't know who I am. And I'm dealing with a this very passionate person. Like, all those stuff, like you can't go commiserate with somebody else who owns a, a coffee shop about those kind of things. It's We, we need yeah. that kind of connection. Not everybody spends their day picking up poop and covered in slobber, and they just don't get it. (laughs) So so you you have you have currently have five employees, and you said one of them is full time. How when did you decide to take that position full time? So it happened naturally, um, and actually, we're probably going to make that position salaried next year. So for now, it's just between 30 and 40 hours a week. But it really just happened naturally that um, she was my employee that was just working on the weekends. And she had a day job 20 years in and she was sick of it. She was over it. Um, So she came to me and said, wonder if you have more hours to offer me. And at the time I was doing a lot of the work Mm. um, and I gladly wanted to give her some of those hours. (laughs) So she went from just doing weekends to doing, you know, 20 hours and then it was 25 hours. And then we ran into weeks where she was getting overtime because we were so busy and she was available. So it really happened naturally. And I think that's one thing when I see pet sitters like wanting to grow and they're like, what do I do to grow? How do I grow? For me, everything has been really organic, which is nice. Um, Even like when I lose an employee, it's almost like, Oh, well, that was good timing. We're going into a slow month. We'll figure that out. Or um, when I gain an employee, when I hire somebody new, it's always, I always hire somebody like maybe five to 10 hours a week. That's it. Because when I'm hiring a new employee, that's my period to grow then. Then I know like, okay, I can give this employee five to 10 hours, which puts me in a position to get out there and let's get more um, people who need dog walks, more pet sitting clients, that sort of thing. Um, So rather than putting the pressure on myself that we need to grow in this way, letting it kind of happen organically and being in a position where I can just fill in the blanks has been really helpful. And I think that a big part of that is because we do our boarding and our daycare and stuff out of our home puts me in a different position than somebody who's just relying on those pet sitting visits to survive. The National Association of Professional Pet Sitters is the only national, nonprofit, professional pet sitting association dedicated to raising and abiding by industry standards. And in 2023, they are headed to New Orleans for their in-person conference. Offering more than just networking opportunities, members are listed in the referral network, which can be accessed by pet parents, and they offer certification programs and continuing education opportunities. The 2023 conference will be held March 3rd through 5th in New Orleans, and Megan and I will actually be speaking on the life as a pet sitter. If you're interested in joining and attending, go to petsitters.org for more information regarding NAPT membership and all of the conference details. 
So when you you offer that 30 to 40 hours, is that guaranteed? What all stuff is that position doing involved with? Yeah. So it's not necessarily, um, she doesn't have a guaranteed set of hours right now, but when we do make that salaried next year, um, she will, that will change a little bit. Um, so it more, it comes down to what people are available to work. Um, and knowing that, you know, like if you take a bunch of days off, you're not going to get like, I'm not going to be able to fill in those hours on different days because I do have quite a few employees who work pretty set hours. Mm. Um, like I have one who works Monday through Thursday, nine 30 to 12 30. Like that's what she always works, you know? Um, which is nice. But then I have employees that are like, I only want a couple days a week and it doesn't really matter which day it is. And it can just be a couple of visits. And those are great because they fill in the blanks, you know, during busy times and stuff like that. Um, but my full-time employee, she's kind of like my first dibs employee, you know, like everything's going to go to her first. I'm going to make sure her schedule is full and then we'll kind of trickle in and fill in from there. I, I love that analogy of just viewing it as like, here's a cup that needs to be filled. And then I know who my next overflow is. And then who's my yes. next overflow? flow and then who's my next overflow and building from there and as you said like hiring somebody on to catch just a few hours of overflow now you've got a whole other cup that you can fill mm-hmm. up depending on what they're what they have available and then that kind of gives us an incentive as the owners to go out and fill the cup right mm-hmm. that's my job now that's what i need to do yep and you don't have to run ragged doing it because now i'm also not trying to fit in a full day of pet sitting on top of it you know we're covered um, and I think I also have gotten very lucky in the people that I've hired are, it's like a second job for a lot of people, you know, they're just, um, maybe they work somewhere else. Like I've got one employee who works like evenings from three to 11. So she's available to walk dogs over the lunch hour, which is awesome. I mean, you don't find that very often. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, stay at home mom who just wanted to make some extra cash and had some availability, um, so in that way, it's kind of nice because almost everybody that, that I hire isn't coming to me like, I need this set amount of hours. Um, yeah. and so then that, that whole, the scheduling process again is just happening organically to, we're constantly having a conversation about like, is this meeting your needs? Um, I've got one employee who her hours change in the summertime because her kids are home. And so then we shift her around and it always works out, you know, it just, As long as I'm constantly talking to them about what's working, what's not working, do you need more, do you want less, are you overwhelmed, Um, that sort of thing, then it kind of just keeps chugging along the way it should. (laughs) Well, and what's important there is that you are not running the company independent of the input of your staff. And I think many people, they bring on staff and then they get concerned or they get stressed out about the scheduling or what things are going to look like or how am I going to grow or how does this happen? And to hear you just Nina, talk about that, well, it happens organically because I'm ha- you're having that conversation with your staff going like, hey, if because you know, if I'm touching base with everybody and they're like, I'm tapped out, I can't take on any more. You know that you can't take on new clients. Like that's going to cap some growth for a period of time until you can either hire somebody or give people a break and then you can continue to go from there. But if we're not checking in with our staff to say, how are you doing? What's it like right now? Are you needing more? Are you wanting more? That gives you incentives and, and guidance and direction for what you can do now with the company. Yeah. And just being a person that that they feel comfortable coming to when something's not working. Like, oh, I thought that I could be okay working these hours, but that's not working. And to just 
feel like they can come to me and tell me that I think is a really big deal. Otherwise we're just all going to be miserable and that's not going to (laughs) work. Well, no. And then you're going to look up and they're going to be turning in their, Mm -hmm. you know, their, uh, their two week notice. And you're going to be like, where did this come from? And they're got, you know, they have all these grievances or have all these concerns. And I think fostering that communication, which is hard when we don't have, you know, we tell our staff, well, we have an open door policy, but technically, you know, we don't have a door. So like, just call us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's it's not a natural process for people for a lot of people to just pick up the phone and call and say, "Hey, I'm really struggling right yeah. now." So so how how do you make sure that they have that ability? Um, pretty early on, I'm just open about letting them know. Text me, call me, email me, whatever your your comfort level is. Um, do one of those things because I just want to work with you and, and make it happen. And in the very beginning, when I'm writing the schedule too, I'll check in with them along the way. Um, I'll say, "Does this work? Does this work? Can I tweak this? You know, what makes the most sense?" And then I try to write our schedule like three to four weeks in advance. But I do that with the caveat of if I scheduled you something three weeks from now, and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, that's not going to work." Let me know. Like I can, I can change it. Now, don't. Don't call me the day before and say, just kidding, I can't work tomorrow. Um, but, <laughs> but if I'm scheduling something pretty far out and you realize you forgot to request it off, um, that sort of thing, or um, maybe I wrote the schedule and you're done at two for the day and then you make plans because you're done at two for the day, go in and request that time off. And I won't schedule you the rest of the day. But if you don't go in and request that time off, I'm, I might add something to the end of your day, not knowing that, you know? Um, so we're just constantly kind of talking about it, especially during that onboarding process. Um, and, and when I write those first like couple weeks of schedule for them, I'm checking with them. Does this make sense to you? Do you like this amount of hours? And just really getting a feel in the very beginning for what they're going to be comfortable with, especially if they're working another job. You don't want them to be overwhelmed and tired. That sort of thing. Because like we had talked about kind of at the very beginning of people, a lot of people coming in, they've never done this before. They don't have experience. It's a learning curve. They're dealing with this new schedule, the new software, the new processes, new protocols, They're, all the, the mental burden and fatigue that's happening. It's, it can be a pretty intensive transition process for a lot of people coming into the industry. Yes. And there's even, you know, you think about all the little details when, when there's meds and there's this and there's that. We just had a client over this MEA break where I did all the visits because that was easier for me than training somebody else in. There was um, six indoor cats and two outdoor cats. Three of them got meds. Two of them were isolated. Um, one of them ate here. One of them, they all ate something different. Like there was so much going on there. And I was like, you know what? This is like why I started doing this. Cause I, I love that. Like my organizational brain was like, Oh yeah. Like put me in coach. Like I'm going to, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to do such a good job. Like that's all I could think, you know, like <laughs> every detail is going to be covered. She's going to get the best updates ever. And my team is the exact same way, but yeah. I knew that I could just go in there and do it and feel so good about it. And there's just situations like that where I'm like, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to send my team to the dog that needs a scoop of food and a walk and cuddles. And they're going to have an amazing 30 minutes and they're going to love their job because they just got to spend 30 minutes cuddling a dog. 
you know, and they didn't have to worry about the medication. They didn't have to worry about all the details. And that made up for the rest of the visits where they did have to worry about the medication and all the details and the alarm system and all of that. Oh. Yeah, I, I th- that, that's, that's been a, a big adjustment for us is managing that aspect of it as well. Going, I, I love those. There are six cats, three dogs mm-hmm. outside, inside, and there's all the medications and there's exact beatings and mm-hmm. placement of things. Like, oh, that gets my brain yes. going. It's, um, it's wonderful. But... I, I, I get energy off of that, but if I give five of those visits to my staff back to back to back to back to back, yeah. that, that's going to be one unhappy staff yes. member, and and I that's on me mm-hmm. to recognize and know that and pull back and go no. I'm not going to give you all those back to back. I'm going to give some more diversity in here for you. And the same thing goes in the opposite where there's some people, me included, that I don't want five back to back, just regular dog walks that are the same every day where you don't have to use your brain. Like I, I would go so stir crazy if that were my schedule five days a week, but some people really like that. That's what they want. Like they strive off that consistency and they love it. And they love seeing the same dog every single day. And something that you kind of just learn about your employees as you talk to them and get to know them. Like I like to ask them like, who's your favorite client? And that will tell me so much when they're like, Oh, I really love this dog because I'm like, okay, so you, you like that consistency. You like this or that. And that really helps me when I'm scheduling to put people in the right places. Again, it's all about that conversation, right? And about and about having that open up to them because what you what you want is you want a good experience for the for the for your staff. But ultimately, what you're trying to do is get at is excellent care for the client, right? And just all these little steps that lead up into that. And and I know on your on your website you mentioned how you you help clients be guilt free, mm-hmm. and and I think that's a really interesting way to view what we do. So what what, what does that mean to you? We know we leave our pets and we feel so terrible, right? Like for example. We just we went to our cabin for the weekend for my sister-in-law's wedding, and we always take the dogs, but we didn't because it was a crazy weekend. So my team stayed back and took care of the dogs. And you feel so terrible, right? Like I can't believe I left my dogs behind. But then I get these updates. And I get the same updates that they send to all of our clients and it's all these pictures and they were snuggling the dogs and they were loving on the cats. And I'm like, they're probably happier than they would be with us because they're getting this like amazing one-on-one attention. You know, we, we spend, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour of this undivided attention with people's pets and we don't do that with our own pets, right? I don't come home and sit on the floor for 30 minutes with my dog. Nobody's got time for that, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I like to tell our clients that, you know, like this is undivided attention that your pet gets. That's amazing. But also you don't have to burden your neighbors. You don't have to feel like you're bugging you know, your mom to stop over or your sister or worry if the neighbor kid did stop over because there's nothing worse than your neighbor being like, oh yeah, I'll take care of your pets. But then you don't hear from them, but you don't want to bug them because you're not paying them. So you're in this like weird situation where I'm like, here's the thing, you're paying us to be there. So if you're worried that we're not there, you call us and you say like, hey, what time are you coming today? Um, but they don't have to worry about that anyways, because we use time to pet and they can go on the app and they see what time we're coming. They see who's scheduled and they can just go enjoy their vacation and relax and not worry about anything. The relationship that we have with our clients is so weird because they bring in all these expectations and prior experiences. And I can't tell you how many times clients have apologized to me for a quote unquote complicated visit or all the things they're asking me to do. Mm-hmm. And how many times I've had to say, 
no, no. Tell yeah, this is my you. job. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm here for. A reason. Like, sorry <laughs> no. for all the notes, and I'm like, leave all the notes. I love the notes. The notes are the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please write a book. Mm-hmm. Please, absolutely. Do you have some videos you can send me of how you do a certain mm-hmm. process? I would love to have that. And I think it, 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 it's a very freeing process for the client at that point to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I can, I can pour everything I need to yeah. into this person, to this company because this they're here for yeah. that, and it does. It does. All of a sudden, they start to unburden because they don't feel bad checking in. They don't feel bad asking you to come in a second time or a third time that day. Or they don't, they don't ask for that it, it, because they've had to in the past and they felt bad about it. So a lot of that is just us kind of helping manage those expectations and talking them through that. But it, it is a very interesting relationship. I, I, I think about that a lot. The more people are like, oh, I'm sorry I'm having you. I'm like, no, no. What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> we love this. Like that client that had the six indoor cats, she had a little picture book and it had their picture and their name. And I'm like, this is so awesome. Like, I love that. <laughs> people love their pets and they love talking about their pets and they, they love setting up their account in time to pet because they get to talk about their pets and their unique needs. And um, even like when I go on trips and I leave notes for the sitters here, um, I love it. Like I love typing up those notes and like, um, even if nothing has really changed a whole lot, it just, it feels good to me, you know? I can always tell kind of what the client relationship is going to be like, given the amount of detail and information they give me on those new forms. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've, I get the clients where it's like food and they're like, yes. And you're like, okay, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be fun. And then you say, you know, someone will say food and they're like, well, one thirteenth, you know, that's like yes. all these exact out, I'm measured out to the, the hundredth decimal no. point on a scale. And you're like, okay, you're my people. Where no. Go. <laughs> That's how we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, you, you know, you mentioned you're you're in, in Minnesota, and so uh, you know, we touched a little bit on the the kind of mental burden and fatigue that takes place from worrying about the, the winter weather. But how how does that change how you you schedule and book things and kind of prepare for for visits? Yeah, it's a good question. So, really, like scheduling wise, it doesn't change a whole lot because you just when I'm writing the schedule three weeks out. You don't know what the weather is going to be like. So I struggle in the same way. Um, But when we know that there's bad weather coming, um, we might just adjust things at the time. Maybe we start earlier. Maybe we push things back a little bit. Because if there's a big snowstorm overnight, going out and starting at six in the morning is going to be terrible. The roads aren't plowed. The roads aren't salted. So we might just push things back. Um, One thing I do with clients in winter months, especially if they're going on a big vacation, is... I ask them to have a, a backup that's maybe like their next door neighbor, somebody that can walk to their house if needed. Now, knock on wood, I've got wood right here. We've never had to do that. We show up, we are there. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about with my employees is that they're comfortable driving in the snow, obviously. Um, we have a, a decently sized service area. Like our main service area is a five mile radius from our, from our downtown. Um, but we go outside of it for an additional fee. So we do have clients who are 10 to 15 miles away, which 10 miles away in a snowstorm could be 45 minutes. I mean, yeah. Um, so that's just one of those situations too, where it's like, I'm on deck. I'm going to hopefully just be the backup person so that if we're getting behind, maybe I'd have to go do a few of those visits just to keep us in check. But also our clients have grace with us. They understand that we live in Minnesota and things are unpredictable. And if your dog eats supper two hours late because there was a snowstorm at the end of the day, your dog is safe. Your dog got outside, your dog has food, your dog still got cuddles, you know, 
Um, we might have to maybe cut visits short if there's really bad weather. Um, for like our daytime or like our daily dog walks, we usually do 30 minutes. And if the weather is really bad, like say it's really, really cold out or in the summer, really, really hot, we'll still spend 30 minutes with that pet, but we just adjust it and we go indoors. We do potty breaks, we play indoors, that sort of thing. Um, the only reason we would maybe cut the visit short would be because we need to get to them all and the roads are bad and it's going to take us a half hour to get from visit to visit. So, but that's just yeah. communication too. As soon as there's bad weather, I'm messaging all of our clients who are on that day and I'm already in contact with them about what could change, what could potentially happen. And every once in a while, you know, we have so many people that work from home now. Thank you, COVID. Um, and we still walk their dogs that they might say, Hey, if you, you want to skip Fido today, if that helps you, because you need the extra time because of the roads. That's perfectly fine. So we might have a situation like that that really helps us out. What's really key there is the preemptive aspect of reaching out the day of to notify the clients and going, hey, these are current conditions. This is the plan moving forward. Just want to make you all alert. Yep. You know, we're, 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 we're headed your way kind of thing. So that they're not, again, this kind of guilt-free peace of mind. They're not left guessing. They're not left going, oh gosh, what are they doing? How are they going to handle this? It's like, no, we've already sent out the email or messages to how they're going to do that. Yep. So that they know, right? So they're not contacting you going, where are you? How's it going? Anything like that? So, nope. We're, we're taking care of that right off the bat. And we, we honestly, we, we provide really exceptional service. And so when something doesn't go perfectly, they have a lot of grace with us because they, they know who we are, what to expect from us on a daily basis. When I was in Hawaii and somebody was sick and all of a sudden there was one person working that day, trying to do two people's jobs, um, she just reached out to the clients that affected and they were all so okay with it. Like, we get it. Yeah. You're going to be behind today. You're never behind, you know, you, you never, <laughs> you, you always show up. So because yeah. of that, I think it's just, it's a really great relationship with the clients. It's really personal. Um, and they know that they can trust us. They know that we're going to be there and we're going to do everything that we can to take the best care of their pet. Because I know a lot of people ask about the cold weather gear and that kind of stuff. Do you have any recommendations or things people should be looking into for, for what makes that good and reliable stuff? So one of my employees, her name is Sophie. She is originally from Germany and she always says there is no wrong weather. There is only wrong clothing. Hmm. And I tell my employees, obviously when they're hired, we walk dogs in all weather, whether it's a hundred degrees and 20 below, we are, we're going to, we're going to be outside. Like, you yeah. know, we're going to take care of these pets. Obviously we're not going on long walks when it's really cold, but you know, you're going to be out in the elements and to plan accordingly. So my best advice is not necessarily like certain brands or anything like that. Lots of layers. You can always take off layers. You can always add layers, keep extra layers of things in your car. Always, always, always have an extra pair of socks with you, no matter what time of the year it is, because wet socks are the worst. <laughs> so I keep an extra pair of socks and an extra pair of shoes, because if you're in the middle of a long day and your shoes and socks are wet, like brutal. Yeah. Forget it. Um, and then my other favorite piece of clothing are the gloves um, that pop open so that your fingers are free um, for picking up dog poop. Yeah. And another really good tip is when it's really, really cold out, open all of your dog poop bags in advance. So you just have to reach in your pocket and it's already good to go and you're not fumbling. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's one of my, one of the first things I tell all of our staff. I just say, Hey, 
this is going to save your life. Pro tip, just always, even in good weather, always just open it. Yeah. Get into that habit of always opening it because a few things are worse than staying there in a blizzard or pouring down rain and it, you can't get it and you just want to scream. Two, you're walking two dogs at once and they're chasing squirrels in opposite directions and you're trying to open a poop bag. It's like, there's, yeah, you don't want to deal with any of that. <laughs> the neighbors are all looking at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't, we want it. We want to be, we don't want to be a spectacle as much as possible. Yeah. We just want to. <laughs> um, other really good pointer too, though, is um, like spikes for your shoes, like Yak Tracks. There's a couple different brands, but they're basically shoe covers that go over your shoes or boots that have little spikes in them so that you don't slip on the ice. Um, yeah. Those have been really, really helpful. Um, you obviously got to make sure that you're not like walking through somebody's house with those on, but you're taking your shoes off anyways in the house. So, um, but those are great because you don't realize that little dusting of snow that fell over the ice that's underneath, like there's just nothing worse than falling while you're walking a dog. Justina, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. How can people get in touch with you, follow along with your company and, and start uh, learning from you? Yeah. So you can find us online, www.justinaspetsitting.com. And then our Instagram and Facebook, um, Instagram is at Justina's Pet Sitting. And then Facebook is Justina's Pet Sitting Service. Um, and you can follow there. You can see the bunnies that we board and um, all the cute pictures of all the animals that we take care of on our social media accounts. The longer I have been in the pet care industry, the more I have come to appreciate the intense mental burden and mental fatigue that takes place in any given day that we are out caring for people's pets. The constant transitions, brand new information, problem solvings, always being on and observant and ready to go really do take their toll. And this is a huge adjustment that many people take a while to get used to. We as business owners, as entrepreneurs, need to find ways to help ourselves adapt and overcome these, having good, solid boundaries, tools, mechanisms, technologies, gear, whatever that is. And then we need to share this with others, especially if we decide that we need to hire staff. We cannot forget the mechanisms, the muscles that we have built over the years to overcome, accomplish, and handle that kind of mental stress and burden. We need to help others do that. I want to thank today's sponsors, Time to Pet and the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters for sponsoring today and making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. 